Man, like Jacob said, it's been so awesome just to walk through this book together, Colossians. If you guys have been here uh, the last four weeks, this is week number five, and we have one more week next week that we're going to wrap up. Colossians, please, man, be, be reading through this with us together. I know, uh, like Jacob's actually doing that online every week. Some of y'all have kind of tuned into that and like, just kind of read along with what we're reading that week. And we have the bookmarks, we have the After Church podcast, all these things. Um, Jacob and his team, man, they have worked so hard just to offer resources to all of us as a church. Um, so please be following along if you can, if you need help with any of that. Um, and just generally, you know, if you have um, questions or, um, you know, concerns, anything that you feel like you need to talk through, um, we are here for that, okay? I am here for that, Pastor Scott or Pastor Trey or any of us who are, you know, your, your, your pastors and your staff here at church. Um, we want to serve you guys and just kind of walk along with you through these things, okay? Um, so please let us know how we can help. Uh, last week, if you were here, if you, um, or if you tuned in and you, you saw the message from last week, where we kind of ended up was at the, kind of in the middle of chapter three, Paul, the apostle, as he's writing this book of Colossians, this letter of Colossians, um, he kind of turned to these practical applications, right, of personal um, things that we do or should not do in our lives as Christians and how from kind of chapters one and two, all these deep theological truths that he has taught us, how those things now apply to us and how we begin to live that out. And, and we just kind of talked about this last week that, man, th theology is so amazing and so wonderful, but it matters mostly if it changes who we are, right? It changes how we live our lives. And so Paul kind of, or, or where we ended last week was really in verse 17, where we were just given all these commands, right, about how we begin to live our lives as Christians. Um, and again, kind of putting ourselves into the context of the Colossian church. These are brand new Christians. They've been Christians for a very short time, and they don't have the New Testament like we have. I mean, literally, this book was being written, like Paul was writing this letter, which is now in our New Testament, but for them, it was just a letter that they received. They didn't have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Rome. Like, they didn't have all those books of the Bible, so they didn't have all the, the knowledge and the understanding of all these things that we have, right? It was just being written, and so Paul is writing this letter just trying to help them understand, how do I begin to live out the faith that I have begun with, the faith that I, I just know that Jesus died for me and he rose again. That was kind of the, the main substance of what they heard and what they believed. Jesus Christ died on a cross and rose again from the dead. That was the center of the message of the early church. His resurrection, that was the huge focal point that the apostles in the book of Acts were taking that message around. This guy died and he rose again. So that's what they believed. And now he's going, okay, now how do you live? So we began that last week. And here's kind of what the essence of that message was last week. It was love that he says above all these things, as he's talking to us in chapter three, he says, above all these things, we put on love which binds all of this together in perfect harmony, right? So Paul has already told us that, okay, that we are to love. And even Jesus in Matthew, 20, uh, Matthew 22, verses 36 through 40, Jesus answers a question about what's the greatest commandment? How does he answer that? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, right? So what's the love? Love is the ethic of Christianity. It is who we are as a people. We live by the law of love. So if you ever just kind of want to boil your Christianity, your faith down to that one idea, I think that that works for us because the truth is there's so many commands and there's so many laws really all throughout scripture. But if we boil it down to love, I think that changes our perspective on everything, right? That everything that I do every day should be filtered through this law of love. Am I living my life in love for God and in love for my fellow people? 
especially in the church, and especially, as we're going to talk about today, in our households. Am I living by the law of love? So now Paul turns to, and he does this in a few of his letters. He does this in Ephesians. So we're going to read Colossians and Ephesians today, um, uh, these, these sections about husbands and wives and children and fathers and uh, slaves and masters. They're, they're almost parallel passages in Ephesians and Colossians. So if you got your Bible, just open it up there. But Paul is turning to these, from kind of these general exhortations of how we all treat each other to kind of specific instruction to, to households, to families within the church. Okay. Um, now, I, I believe even if you're sitting in here today, and maybe you're maybe you're single, maybe you live by yourself or whatever, and you might think, "Well, this none of this applies to me because he's talking to families." Well, we're all part of a family in some way, right? And I do believe as well um, there are ways that we can apply these truths today, even if we're not married, or um, you know, even if our life might look a little different than the context of what Paul is speaking into. Um, I think even as employees, people that work at a place, or maybe you're a boss of employees, we're going to talk about that today too. Um, I think some of these things apply to us, okay? So don't check out on me um, if, you know, some of that maybe doesn't directly apply to your situation. Maybe you're not married, um, and that's okay. But I think these are, these are valuable truths for us anyway. Um, so a quick word. So Paul has just said, as we finished up last week, Paul has just said that in our relationship to Christ, that there is no Jew and Gentile, male and female, slave and free, Right? This is in chapter 3. He's already made this point that in our relationship to Jesus, in our faith and our salvation, we are all on even playing field. We are all on equal standing in the eyes of God, that there is no greater or lesser in the kingdom as far as God is concerned. And if there is, honestly, it's flipped upside down from what the world would say, right? Jesus taught this in many different places again and again. Jesus teaches that if you want to be great, you got to make yourself less, right? You want to be great, you got to be a servant. He even uses the word slave. That's actually the word that he uses. And we're going to get there in a second as we talk about slaves and masters and what Paul was talking to them about. But this is how the kingdom of God works. There is no greater or lesser and this is crazy in the world that Paul is writing this to. So as we go into this section, I want y'all to kind of have this, this understanding that Paul is really writing this with two frameworks in mind, okay? Two frameworks. The first is the framework that he has already created in the first part of Colossians. Colossians 1 and 2 and the first half of 3 as far as like he is setting the stage for these commands with the Christian theological framework of who Jesus is, what Jesus has done in the gospel, and who we are in him. So we can't divorce these commands from all of that. Does that make sense? Don't try to read this passage today. Don't try to read this passage apart from what Paul has already said in Colossians. Because he's already made the point we're all in Christ together. Men, women, slave, free, children, fathers. Like we're all in Christ together. If you have faith in Jesus, we're equal standing with him. But what he's also doing, there's another framework. There's the framework of the Greco-Roman world that he's writing to. These people live in a culture where there are just some things that are different than the culture we live in today in 21st century America, for one thing. Um, but also some things going on in their culture that aren't necessarily honoring to God. But Paul's trying to write into that culture and just say, look, as you live in the culture that you live in, here's a way to think with the theological framework that I've already laid out for you in Colossians 1 and 2. If Jesus really is who he says he is, and we really believe that, how then do we live 
as wives and husbands and fathers and children and slaves and masters, right? Um, so don't get, don't get too worked up about some of these things. And um, I do want to say this. As we walk through this passage, if you just feel like you have questions or you have concerns or things you do want to talk about further in this, we really want to invite that. I want to invite that. So listen, I'm going to actually give you my email address. You can email me if you want to talk about any of these things. Here it is, scott at eastridge.church. Um, you can email that. Look, if you want to use colorful language or whatever, that's fine. Just let me have it in that email. That would be great. Um, again, scott, S-C-O-T-T at eastridge.church. Um, seriously, you can't email me. I'm going to be right here after church. We can talk um, if you want to <laughs> just talk about some of these things today. So we're going to jump in. Let's pray together and we'll jump in. God, we love you. Thank you that your word is good. Your word is right all the time. And I just pray today that you would lead us in your word, humble our hearts, and, and lead us as we walk through this together. Help us to obey what your word says and follow it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, here's the main point today. I'm going to go ahead and throw this up on the screen. Main point today is this. My relationship to Christ is the foundation for all of my other relationships. Okay? That is the point. It's a very simple point. If you want to write that down, take a picture of that or whatever, that's the point of today. So as we read through this, I want you to have that on your minds. My relationship to Jesus is the foundation for all of my other relationships. So he says in Colossians 3, starting in verse 18, he says, Wives, submit to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Now, flip over to Ephesians and let's read that passage too, because these are, like I said, very parallel passages. He gives a little bit more explanation in Ephesians, which I like. So I want to read this one, okay? A little bit more said about it. Starting in verse 22 and in Ephesians chapter 5. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, here's a summary statement. However, each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Okay. Nobody threw anything yet. All right. Couple observations. Okay, so let's kind of take these one at a time. This is, it's a little bit of a broken up passage today was he's talking about three different, very specific relationships. So it's going to feel a little bit broken up, and that's okay. Let's just take some observations, okay? And let's start with wives. Observations from what Paul says here in Colossians and in Ephesians. By the way, there's a very similar passage that Peter writes in 1 Peter, and I'll reference that a little bit. When he says submit, wives, submit to your husbands, that word, it literally does mean to submit. It means to willingly, and that's an important part of this, willingly by your mind and your thought and your own volition, to willingly place oneself under another willingly choosing to do this, okay? This implies what, women? That you have a will. Does it not? 
It implies that you have a choice in this matter. Why does that matter? Here's why that matters. Because again, Paul is writing this into a culture, a Greco-Roman culture, where that wasn't really the case for women. That they didn't have a choice. They didn't have a will. And even if they wanted to not do a thing or do whatever, it didn't matter because they lived in this thing called, what, what the Latin word, Latin phrase for this would be called was pater familius. And I might be butchering that in the Latin language, but pater familius. And what that literally meant was that the father and the man was the master of the household. He owned his household and everyone in the household. That included the wife that the husband was the owner of his wife, owner of his children, and of course, owner of his servants or his slaves, right? This is how they lived in the world that they lived in. This was very common to them. So as Paul is writing this to these people in Colossians, the mere fact that he, one, starts his conversation with the women is crazy. He doesn't start with the men. In their world, in their way of speaking and way of writing letters, this would have always been written to who? To men. And really only to men, only to the father, only to the head of the household. So the fact that Paul is addressing these women, that one in and of itself is amazing, right? So he is talking directly to them, not, let alone talking to their slaves in just a moment. Like he's going to talk directly to them. But he is using a word there where he says, submit to your husbands. It is a word not of coercion. It is a word of willingness on the part of the wife. He's just calling Christian wives to say, look, ladies, like you live in a culture where you have to do this anyway. Like it is required of you by law. And if you don't, uh, men were legally allowed to basically do whatever they wanted to their wives. Y'all, infidelity and abuse and all sorts of other things, even murder, though it was pretty uncommon and men didn't often do that. Like there's not a lot of cases of that really happening, but they could and they could probably get away with it because the men just dominated the culture. So Paul is speaking into that world and going, look, I know this is how you live and you don't have a voice in this, but I am telling you, Christ has given you a voice and he's given you a mind, women, and use that voice and use that mind, not to usurp authority over your husband, but to willingly, lovingly submit to him as the leader of the household. Number two, submission is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. It is, and this is where I get that from. Uh, that's from Ephesians 5. I want you to look at Ephesians 5 real quick because this does matter. This actually matters a lot. Um, in Ephesians 5, submission is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Starting in verse 18, starting in verse 18, Paul says this. He says, don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Now, those next three verses, this is all one sentence. Paul is writing one sentence in the Greek where he says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then he says, Speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your hearts to the Lord. Give thanks to God the Father for everything and submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. He gives four things that are a fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's all one sentence. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And what does that look like? It looks like how you speak, how you sing, how you give thanks, and how you submit. And by the way, he's not just talking to women in that verse, is he? He's talking to all of us. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Husbands, we're going to get to you in a second and how you submit. But wives, it starts here. He's just going, wives, just submit yourself willingly under the leadership of your husband in your family. Number three, wives take their cues from the church's submission to Christ. That's what he says in Ephesians, right? As the church submits to Christ, 
So wives, submit to your husbands. I don't think that we should get lost in that because that's an important thing that Paul says, that we, we are kind of displaying the church's submission to our Lord Jesus as wives willingly submit to their husbands. Now, that being said, I think this needs to be said. Last observation for women right now. Ladies, if you're married, you are not required to submit to your husband in ways that contradict your Christian faith. Okay? That is clear, too, because Paul says, as to the Lord, doesn't he? Like, submit your husband as to the Lord. That implies that he's acting like who? The Lord. That he's acting like Jesus. Man, we're going to get to you in a second, like I just said. That we have that responsibility. So in no way is Paul calling women to submit to a husband in a way that contradicts their faith to the Lord. So what does this submission look like? I don't think that means you don't submit because if you read 1 Peter, 1 Peter 3, Peter's talking to wives who have unbelieving husbands. Peter's talking to wives who have husbands that are not following Jesus. And he tells them also to submit. So it's like, oh, how do I do that? How do, what does that even mean? What does that look like? I, I think here's a way we can just think about it, if we can kind of frame it up real quickly, is this. That our submission, women, your, your submission to your husband would simply look like having a desire and a general attitude of humility and submission to your husband, even while sometimes going against his will, if he's not following Jesus and he's trying to lead you in a way that's not according to Jesus, that you may sometimes have to go against his will while still having the general desire and attitude of submission and humility, not going against his will with, with anger or bitterness or um, trying to be domineering or dominant or whatever, just always submitting to your husband. And as Peter would say, because you want to win him to Jesus. You want to win your husband to the Lord. And wives, if you do have a husband who's not following Jesus, you know what a great way to submit to him is? Pray for him every day, as often as you can. And by the way, if you have a husband who is following Jesus, you know what a great way to submit to him is? Pray for him every day, as often as you can. I think that is a beautiful way that wives take this verse seriously, to love and submit to their husbands as to the Lord. Now, husbands, a couple observations for husbands. Now, one, understand this. Paul talks a lot more, especially in Ephesians, to husbands than he does to wives, does he not? Like the husband text is like in my Bible, I mean, it's 10 verses or so, and the wives is like three verses. So he has a lot more to say to the husbands, a lot more commands to the husbands, which I think we should take seriously. So some observations here. Number one, husbands, you are not told ever by Paul or by Peter or anywhere else in the Bible or the New Testament, you are not told to make your wife submit to you. A wife should say, Amen. You are not told, husbands, to make your wives submit. Instead, you are told in no uncertain terms to be the kind of man that your wife wants to submit to and follow your leadership in the family. To be that kind of man. And how do you become that kind of man? Number two is this, love. You love he says the main command to husbands in Colossians and Ephesians is love your wives. Now, here's the interesting thing about that. There are four words for love used in the Bible in the Greek language. There's four words. Okay, we got storge, we got philia, we got eros, and we got agape. Storge is familial love. Storge is how I love my mom, right? And he could have used that word, honestly, like that's a familial love. It's just like we love the people in our family, okay? He didn't use that word. 
Uh, philia, that's friendship. He wouldn't really use that word. Eros, he might have used eros because eros is like sexual love. It's husband-wife love. It's I love you, baby. Like that's eros, right? Like that's that kind of love. But he doesn't use that word. The word that he uses, love your wives, is the word what? Agape. If you've been around church, if you know your Bible a little bit, agape is what? God love. This is God's love for your wives. Husbands, agape love your wife. That kind of love is a love that is self-sacrificing, a love that is humble, a love that is meek, a love that is charitable, a love that is giving, a love that is serving, a love that is dying for the other. Do you not think that's submission too? You not think Jesus dying on the cross, that's agape love, was submission? You not think Jesus washing the disciples' feet, that's agape love, was submission? He's calling the husbands to love their wives as who? Christ loves the church. How did Christ love us? He died for us. And so, if you read this passage and, you, and husbands, you're having this thought of like, oh, well, yeah, man. He tells wives to submit to their husbands. The wife, submit to your husband. Well, you know what he tells husbands? Die. Which command is harder? It's die, husbands. Love your wives as Christ loves the church. Your love for your wife is an act of submission to Christ and to her and to your family. We take our cues, next, next observation, we take our cues, husbands, we take our, commu- our cues from Christ. His love is compassionate, serving, it's humble. Listen, sometimes husbands, leading your wife, it's just practical advice, maybe leading your wife means letting her lead. Does that make sense? Sometimes leading your family, leading your wife, leading as God has called you men to lead in your family means that you know she's better at some stuff than you are. And letting her, calling her, asking her to help you and to even lead and to make decisions that you're having a hard time making in the family, okay? Being the leader of the family doesn't mean that you're the boss and you dominate everything and you're just being domineering or harsh or anything like that, right? It just means you love Jesus and you love your wife and you love your family. And so sometimes in humility, you even let her lead, let her make decisions, know that she's just better at some stuff. She's smarter at some stuff, man. Is this right? Am I right? Okay, thank you. You're going to, okay, thank you. Uh, Just making sure nobody's getting smacked in the head um, that we know this is true, okay? And the last thing, just for men, real quick. um, You are responsible. I I believe by these passages, men, uh, husbands in here, you are responsible. You are responsible for the direction and the health and the leadership of your family. Do not miss this next sentence. You, men, husbands, you will be held accountable to Jesus for your family, not your wives. I believe when we meet Jesus one day, he's going to ask me about how I led my family. Husbands, honestly, I hope that terrifies you in a way and, and, and in such a way that it would humble you to your knees that you would begin to try your best to love your wife and your family as Christ loves the church. And wives, I hope you hear that and think, I want to pray for him. I want to submit myself to him in prayer every day so that he could lead us like that because he's going to stand before Jesus and answer for this family. So to both husbands and wives, um, Paul says, you are one flesh. 
He's going back to Genesis for that. You are, you are one flesh in the Lord, uh, which I just think is interesting, right? Like, you ever in your marriage try to, like, win an argument or try to make a point and, like, kind of you, you end that thing thinking, like, I won? Here's the problem with that. If you're one flesh and you win, what does that mean? They lost. And if you're one flesh, what does that mean? You lost. Right? So I don't know. I just think that's an interesting thing. You're one flesh is what he says. Your marriages are meant to display the gospel to the world. Wives, as, as the church submits to Christ, so the world should see your submission to your husband. Church, husbands, as Christ loves the church, so the world should see you love your wife that way. And so that when the unbelieving world sees our marriages, y'all, Christian marriage can and should be one of the best testimonies and witnesses to the beauty of Jesus in this entire world. It should be that. So that when people see our lives and see our marriages, they think, man, that's a, that's a mystery. That's what Paul said too, right? That's a mystery that he loves his wife. He's not harsh with her. He serves his wife. He cares for his wife. She submits to him and prays for him, and helps him lead that family. That's beautiful. And by the way, uh, generally speaking, and I'll just say this, through all of my conversations throughout the years with husbands and wives, or even just, even with teenagers sometimes, like girls, like thinking about these verses, thinking about, like, how would I do that one day? Um, man, I generally find the problem is not with women wanting to submit to their husbands. The problem is almost always with husbands not wanting to lead. That's almost always the problem. And I have never asked a woman, would you want to submit to a man who loves Jesus like this and loves you like this? I've never asked them that and they said no. I've never, and maybe that's, maybe that's you, maybe you don't want to, but I've never asked a woman, would you want to submit to that kind of man who loves you like Jesus? And they said, no, doesn't sound good. Every time they go, yes. Y'all, I guarantee you when uh, Epaphras took this to the Colossian church and read it out loud to them, the Colossian women went, praise Jesus. That's what they did. Yes, I'll submit to that. You love me like that, I'll submit to it. And I'll follow you in this life, right? This is not constrictive to women. Please hear that. It's freeing, ladies. I hope you feel the freedom of it and the joy of that kind of marriage. And I hope our marriages look like that. Okay, fathers and children, here's what he says. Uh, going back to, let's go back to Colossians. Fathers and children, children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Parents said, amen. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. Okay, let's read the Ephesians passage. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And he gives us an Old Testament. This is the, the Ten Commandments right here. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you, that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers... Do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Okay, remembering that, that context of the Greco-Roman world, right, where fathers had like complete, unquestioned dominance over their families, right? Paul is writing into that, that culture and that, that, that style of living that they lived in. He's just going, okay, I'm talking to children first now. He talks to wives first, children first, and then slaves first. That's amazing to me. So he talks to children. He says, look, children, be obedient to your parents, by the way, children, any, anybody that's a child, and when I say child, I would just say, if you're still living in your parents' house under their authority and their rules, okay? That, I think you would qualify here. Um, you know the commandment, I think we always think about the commandments being just in the Old Testament. This commandment is really only given twice in the Old Testament. It's given six times in the New. 
Six times in the New Testament are the New Testament writers and Jesus going, obey, children, obey your parents. In fact, in Romans chapter one, Paul, the same guy, he lumps in disobedient children with idolaters and murderers and witches. Isn't that crazy? Like he puts it in that category. Disobedience to your parents is a capital punishment crime. Did you know that? In the Jewish world, in the Old Testament, it was a capital punishment to disobey your parents. That's how serious they were about this. And so Paul's just reminding them, look, in God's economy, he has given you the parents that you have, children. And so you obey them. And then he reminds them of that commandment in the Ten Commandments where he says, um, honor your father and mother, and you will enjoy long life on the earth. And I just want to say a word about that because that's not really to an individual person. Um, he's not saying, child, if you obey your parents, you're going to live a long time. What he's saying is as a community, your community, the people of God will last through generations and generations and generations if their children take serious the command to obey their parents. He's saying it is good for the community for children to learn to honor and obey their parents, okay? Um, and I just think that is an important thing for us to, to remember. And then he's talking to fathers. Fathers, um, he says, do not exasperate or do not embitter your children. Instead, in Ephesians, he says, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Right? In Colossians, he says, they would become discouraged if you would do that. Fathers, part of your role as the leader, and mothers, of course, do this as well. But again, fathers as leaders of the household, still in that context, do not embitter and do not exasperate your children. Don't use your power and your authority and your intelligence or your position or your physical strength against your children. Use those things for your children, right? This is, this is I think, the way Paul is wanting us to think about these things. Don't discourage them. You don't want your children to be discouraged. Listen, you will not, um, you will not discourage your children into obedience, Okay? You can, I think, encourage them, love them into obedience. And again, a word to dads. Understand this, fathers. You are the closest thing in this world that your children have to the example of who God is. That's you. That's us. Take that seriously. And maybe just one more word um, to single moms. If you're a single mom in here, um, please don't lose heart. I know that's hard. I know that's really hard. And that is not God's perfect intention for this world and this life. But that is reality for some. Don't lose heart. Let us, the church, let us help. That's what the church is for too, okay? This community that can help raise the children in the Lord. As he tells fathers, bring your children up in the training and instruction. Let's discipleship. Like, let's do that together as a, as a church. And if you need help, please let us know so we can help. All right, let's talk slaves and masters as we wrap up. I know we're a little short on time. Slaves and masters. Um, this is a hard one because obviously, like Chris was saying, we, we have this American mindset about what slavery is and how ugly it was um, in our history and what that, what that looked like. Just um, suffice it to say this for now, and I have a lot more literature. If any of you want to come and maybe chat more about this, we can. Um, I have a lot more literature that I actually have in my notes about these things. But I'm just going to say this. Um, the culture that they lived in, this was their world, okay? They lived in a slave culture. Some of these slaves were maybe captives of war. Some of them just were born into it and were raised, and they lived in the household with these people. So again, Paul is talking to households, 
This is who he's, he's addressing as he, even when he's talking to slaves and masters. This was the culture that they had lived in. And some were even indentured servants. Like they had hired themselves out to a family. This was a willing choice on the part of the slave. Like I need money. I need help. I need a place to live. I'm going to hire myself to you as your slave and become your slave. So it wasn't exactly the way that we think about our history of slavery. And um, I know people wrestle with these questions about like, why doesn't Paul just say, don't have slaves? Why doesn't Paul just say, stop with the slavery and all that, right? Why didn't the Bible ever really explicitly say that? Here's how I want us to understand this, okay? I think this is important. That what Paul is doing, even though he doesn't explicitly say slaves or masters stop having slaves, what he's already done is he's laid this undercurrent of theology, hadn't he? That all people are equal, that we are on equal standing and no one is better than anybody else, right? And so he's kind of undermining the Roman world already in the way that he's taught about who we are in Christ. Our identity is not as slaves. It is as free. We are all free in Christ. But I know I'm writing into a culture that really there are real slaves. There are real servants who live in these households. So in that world, I want to address just what's going on and how slaves you should live and how masters you should treat them. This is, this is all Paul is really doing. Um, like I said, if you want to, um, I have some more notes on some of that actually from professors who study these things and can talk a little bit more about their culture and what that looked like for them. Um, does God condone slavery? I think the short answer being no, right? He even actually expressly forbids specifically human trafficking in the Old Testament. Um, he does forbid that. And over and over and over again, God's people are given commands to defend to look out for, to care for, to feed, to clothe, to welcome the stranger and the alien and the lonely and the homeless and the foreigner and the oppressed. That's what God's people are always called to do, right? But all of that being said, they are writing these letters into a culture that it was just the way that they lived. Paul doesn't even know these people in Colossae. He's just writing into their culture and just going, hey, look, like understand this truth. And then look, if you're going to continue to live like this, here's how you should do it. And I do think it's worth noting. There's a book um, right after this um, in, called Philemon that Paul writes. And Philemon is actually a book written to this guy named Philemon who is a slave master. And he's in no uncertain terms telling him to release his slave Onesimus, who he mentions in Colossians. Onesimus was one of them. Um, he's going to go back with this letter. He, Paul is sending a slave with this letter to Colossians. And as he does that, he's telling Philemon, look, I'm not telling you you have to, but he does say, actually, you should. You should free him, right? It's up to you. It's up to you, Philemon, how, how you want to do that. But I'm telling you, free him and send him back to me. So Paul's kind of being subversive here in the way that he's talking. So here's what he says in Colossians. He says, slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything. And do it not only when their eye is on you to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for his wrong, and there is no favoritism. And then four one, he says, Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you have a master in heaven. Again, Paul speaks directly to the slave. Like, they would have taken this letter and read it out loud, like this, in front of the church. Somebody would have taken Paul's letter and read it out loud. And this is crazy if you think about it like this, because there would be in the room slaves, or wherever they were, like in the town center or whatever. There would be slaves there. And as the guy started reading this letter and he said, hey, slaves, listen up. 
all the masters in the room would have went, whoa, 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 you talk to me. You don't talk to my slave. And this guy reading the letter would have been like, no, Paul said, I'm talking to your slave right now. I'm not talking to you guys. I'm talking to them. You know why? Because they're people. They're equal with you in the eyes of the Lord. And I understand that you live under this institution, but I'm talking to them. That's crazy, y'all. Just the fact that they're addressing slaves, like that is insane um, in, the, in the first century where they lived, okay? So the fact that he addresses them, and then just like we were talking about a minute ago, he gives the slaves volition of their own, control over their own lives and bodies, doesn't he? He says, you obey, just choose that. Obey and work hard and do the things that you're supposed to do. Not out of compulsion or not just when they're watching you, but do it because you know this, and here's his main point, you are serving the Lord. Christ is your master. I think the best way for us to apply this, and I know it's not a one-to-one comparison, we live in a different world, but I do think the best way for us to apply this would be as employees at the places where we work. Okay, you have someone who's over you, over what you do in charge of you, and you have a temptation every day to work harder, to not work hard, and to kind of cut corners and to do things maybe that you shouldn't do or to take time off that you shouldn't take off or to be, you know, searching whatever on the internet when you're supposed to be working on the internet, right? Or whatever, like we have options of how we work. And I think the command for us would fit there. The principle here would just simply be work with all your heart. That's what he told him. As if you are working for Jesus, you go to work tomorrow knowing that he is your master. And he he says, there's no favoritism with him. That means masters and slaves. No favoritism. Nobody's better or worse. Jesus is watching. He knows us and he understands us and he is our Lord. And so we want to work to serve and please him. And then he tells masters, I'm just reading the Colossians passage, not the Ephesians. He tells masters, provide for your slaves what is right and fair because you know that you have a master in heaven. And again, that phrase right there to the masters, it's like that would have just shut their mouths right then and there. Like Paul's talking to you and he's saying, masters, bosses, people in charge, guess what? You ain't ultimately in charge, (laughs) right? Jesus is. And just like he's their master and you're their master on this earth, yes, but you have a master and his name is Jesus. So you treat your slave accordingly. You better be right. You better be just. You better be fair with them and how you treat them. Guys, this is radical speech in the first century, in the world that they lived in. This is what it looks like to live in the economy of Jesus. And uh, just to wrap this up, Ephesians 5, 21, kind of as Paul writes it to the Ephesians, um, he says this line, he says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Reverence for Christ. And then he goes into wives, husbands, fathers, children, slaves, masters, right? But again, the idea is that all of these relationships come from our relationship to Jesus. We have enjoyed the privileges of knowing Jesus, that we are blessed in him. We are adopted. We are saved. We are redeemed. We are forgiven of sin. We are made free from the power of sin and death. And we have an eternal inheritance in Christ. All of that is good news, the privileges of the gospel. But we can never divorce the privileges from the gospel from the practices of the gospel because now he's saying look as great as all those things are that you have in Jesus that adoption and that redemption that freedom those things are beautiful to you but guess what unless you live them out like this they won't be beautiful to the world we want the world to see the beauty of the gospel and they will see the beauty of the gospel by how you treat each other 
how you treat your wives and your husbands and your children, how you treat your employees, how you work at your places of work, how you treat your friends, how you treat your neighbors, how you treat strangers, how you treat your enemies. That is what will make the gospel message beautiful to the world. It's beautiful to us. Now let's go and take it and make it beautiful to them by how we live our lives. So um, that's the message today, guys that my relationship to Jesus and what I know and understand about him and who he is and what he's done for me and all the promises I have in him, that has to change how I live and how I treat other people, especially people in my household, especially those in the church, and even those who do not belong yet to Jesus. We're going to talk about that next week. How do we treat outsiders? How do we treat non-believers? How do we treat those not in the church? And what does that look like? Um, so the point is, let's let the gospel change us and submit ourselves to this. These, these can be hard teachings. I get that. Um, you got my email address, so send me one there. Um, but no, I would love to talk with you if you, you know, have anything you would like to just talk about or pray about even. I know some of that just comes with, there's, there's, some, there's some context there for some of you guys, and you're hearing some of these things going, ooh, man, that's hard for me um, because of what has happened in my life. So um, please. Let's talk about those things. I'd love to just pray, pray with you and um, encourage you, if I can, in the, in the scriptures. So let me pray for y'all, and then we'll be done. God, thank you so much for your grace and your mercy. Thank you for your word. It is good. It is right. And um, God, help us to submit to it. Help us to submit to your word and follow you in all things. Thank you for the beauty of it. Thank you for the greatness of the gospel. Let it lead us in how we live our lives, how we relate to each other, and treat one another with love out of reverence for Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you guys have a great Sunday. Thank you all so much for being here today.